everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris, and it's good to be back with you again today. All right, so I want to announce a couple things first, uh, just some show note type things, and then I'm going to play about a 15-minute or so audio study I did, uh, or it's actually an audio video study that I did on Revelation 3.10. But first, the show notes. I do want to start doing more podcasts. I think I'm going to try to do two podcasts a week. And I'm going to, those are going to be interviews, they're going to be Bible studies, like the last one of the two witnesses or whatever, which I'll do primarily or initially in video form, but with the idea that they can be used in audio form as well. And making kind of little clips into videos or maybe specific videos, I'm not exactly sure. I have been live streaming on Twitch, but I, I don't know if I'll continue to do that or, or pre-record them or whatever. I still haven't quite figured out uh, that end of it, but you can expect more content uh, from Bible Prophecy Talk. So please do subscribe to the audio feed. That's the most important thing right now. Uh, if you can, if you know how, subscribe directly to the RSS feed uh, at BibleProphecyTalk.com, but it's not necessary. The main thing is, uh, if you're still on the sort of nowhere to run podcast feed, go ahead and subscribe to the Bible Prophecy Talk feed as well, regardless of the, the where you're at, Spotify or iTunes or wherever. The other show note thing I wanted to mention is that I wanted to hire somebody and pay them, you know, sort of part-time wages to sort of come alongside and to help me with a couple things. First, this this podcast, uh, you know, two episodes a week push. There's a lot of, you know, uploading to WordPress and uh, to YouTube and scheduling all those releases at the right times, doing the descriptions and the titles and the thumbnails and uh, doing some light video editing. And in fact, the more video editing you know, the, the more that we can do. And it would be pretty light video editing. I'm, I'm recording most of the video and it's just going to be little pieces here and there that need to be uh, done. So that would certainly help. Also, in addition to the sort of the podcast stuff and, and expanding to different platforms, I'd like to, to start to get on some of those platforms like Library and BitChute and some of these other places. Or I'm, I'm on, on there, but I don't have the time to sort of upload consistently. And then uh, also a lot of kind of archiving of the, the material that I have done in the past from all the ministries before. It's really uh, disheartening to not be able to find some of the stuff, you know, I think is something the other day I was thinking about the thing I did for, you know, sort of debunking Seventh-day Adventism and the sort of idea of the Sabbath. And I just really poured my heart into that. I can't find it anywhere, you know. And of course, it's been like that for a long time. In fact, this podcast, Bible Prophecy Talk, no sooner had I mentioned a few podcasts ago, I was so excited, you know, here it's doing really good. Uh, in terms of the rankings, that's not, uh, then as soon as I'd said that, it got just shadow banned into oblivion, at least on uh, uh, Google. And uh, it's still ranking fairly good on the podcast, but that's going to hurt it in the long run, certainly being shadow banned on the actual Google search engine. But nevertheless, it's just one of the things that uh, has been going on as long as uh, I can remember from the beginning doing stuff on Michael Tassari and or David Icke debunked, you know, and, and it's weird to have some of those victories where you're, you're ranking number one for that thing, you know, David Icke, you know, can't type that in without seeing David Icke debunked and learning exactly who that guy is and all that stuff. And then you can't find it anymore, anymore, you know, then I could go on, but I'm not going to. So anyway, if you want to help with that uh, and come alongside and, and help with that, uh, uh, the email is chris at chriswhiteministries.com, chris at chriswhiteministries.com. Let me know what makes you think you will uh, be good for the uh, position, and I'll make a decision on that shortly. Um, just before I get into the sort of scheduled thing today, where we're going to talk about Revelation 3.10, it's sort of a canned uh, thing that I did a few days ago, just a, a study through Revelation 3.10. 
um, I just some thoughts I've been having about sort of the coming persecution of Christians, as I've been sort of saying, it, it's probably going to start in the guise of coronavirus stuff. You know, we're going to be the super spreaders and everything like that. And we're going to refuse to do all the things because whether we think it's the whatever, the mark of the beast or whether we just do it, don't do the things on principle, which is it doesn't really matter because no, the world is going to a place that we can't follow. And as a result, it's also being fed to the world in such a way that we're going to be the enemies of the world. And, and sort of the best case scenario I can think of is uh, not, well, the best case scenario is that we're just ostracized and we have to be more internally, uh, for, internal looking into the church. And it made me think of a few different things. I think it will, will really highlight the sort of otherness of Christianity will become more apparent you know, you read it in, in history books and even in the Bible about this sort of otherness of Christianity. And it makes sense when you start to see the sort of necessity when the world hates uh, you. Jesus said, don't think it's, or Peter said, don't think it's a strange thing when the world, you know, hates you or gives you trials and tribulations or whatever. And he says, as though something strange has come upon you and it couldn't be any more true uh, now. And I think that's really where a lot of Christians are going to be shocked by, you know, my position right now is that I don't see anything specific that tells me it's the end times. Uh, I'm open to that possibility. I'm very, very like hypersensitive to it. And I'm ready to take that position as soon as I see something uh, that I think is specifically uh, the end times. Right now, I'm seeing a lot of stuff that basically just means we're going to go into another period of uh severe persecution. It's going to be another shift into socialism. A lot of people are probably going to die for their political beliefs and other kinds of beliefs. It's the kind of thing that's basically just the air that the world breathes. And it's also a situation that every single time it happens, the Christians think that it's the end of the world. And one of these, this time I have to give them some credit. There's some more there's some more sort of factors into this. The one thing that it is entirely a global thing as opposed to a, you know, a thing that's just happening in Myanmar or just happening in Russia or China or uh, Turkey or something like that. It's, 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 this is a global thing. And so that has a little bit of a flavor that you need to be a little more attentive to and that it really might be this time. Anyway, all that to say, whether it is or isn't, I definitely see a, a, a time of trial and persecution coming for Christians. And if not overt trial and, and killing and that kind of thing, which I hope it doesn't come to, it's going to be at least an otherness situation where we have to inwardly look to one another in our local churches and we start, we'll start to really, it, it'd be sort of a double-edged sword. You're going to have betrayal in that scenario, but you're also going to have great power. You're going to have the church uh, become the church again. But really the thing that I wanted to talk about within that is the idea that we need to be prepared for the kind of looking a couple things. Uh, right now I'm sort of preparing for the worst, hoping for the best kind of thing. And one of the things I keep thinking of is the necessity of uh, people and community and different things, because you just can't do all the things that you're going to need to do. What are you going to do when you need the dentist or, you know, all these things, or you, you're not going to be able to farm if you're not a farmer or raise cattle if you're not a rancher. So you need people within your, your circle that can do that. And the churches are the place to do that. But even the churches themselves really aren't enough to sort of barter within themselves. The churches in a given town are probably going to need to team up with other churches in that town. There's probably going to be need a need for an underground sort of network. And 
really the, we're going to be protected to some degree by the sort of vague notion of uh, you know, you can't no Congress can make, make no law respecting the free practice of religion and that kind of stuff. And we're going to be, we're going to have until that's taken away, which I'm sure it will be at some point. Um, you know, we're going to probably, that's one thing is to kind of keep that in mind is that look to those other churches. That is the biblical model, right? Is that there was sort of a church per city and the take, speaking of the big biblical model, um, I think, you know, I'm not suggesting sort of, I, maybe I am, I don't know the X, uh, and like, the early church with the, like the Ananias and, and Sapphira, however you say that uh, scene where, you know, they were struck dead because they sold their field and they brought, you know, the money back to the church. And in the context of what was going on, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But the, the main takeaway I'm trying to bring here is that the church was in a position where they were bringing everything that they had selling everything that they had and bringing it to the church and saying, this is what we need to do to, to, to do what we need to do. Uh, it was very, I mean, obviously the word I'm looking for here is communism and obviously I'm anti-communism in every possible way you can think of, except for the way that that particular thing that needed to happen in the early church, which is a, a group that was so hated by everybody that was so, uh, limited into what they could do or, wh or who could they trust that uh, their only hope was to look internally for everything. And that was, hey, everybody bring your canned food here, bring whatever. You know, I think communism in the terms of like commune, uh, that is a system that can work on a small scale and has worked in a small scale. Obviously, it, it, it has its issues too, but it's a, it's the kind of thing that I could see us going more towards out of absolute necessity. And I just want to, my the thinking right now is less about the food that I have prepared as more about like, what does this look like in sort of a church uh, situation? Like, um, and, and I talked before on this podcast about like a sort of a neighborhood co-op for your sort of 24 hour security in your house and, and, and teaming up with your neighbors and all that. And I still think that's an important part of it too. Uh, it's easier depending if you're in our kind of where I'm at, which is everybody is, you know, you know, it's a, the red part of the reddest part of a red state uh, ever. So it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, unity of thought. But even in that situation, I would say it would have to be, you know, in your neighborhood thing, you need to make allowances for non correct polit or not correct, non the different political opinions. That is to say, it needs to sort of a tenant of your neighborhood sort of system is that uh, your political opinion doesn't really matter. We're all in this because we have a co our commonality as a neighborhood is that we all have houses here and, and things to defend in our houses. And for that reason, we need to uh, look to each other to help sort of watch after that and, you know, try to make it as, as little about politics or anything else as possible in that situation. All right, so I'm going to play my uh, video on Revelation 3.10, and uh, this podcast will come out tomorrow on uh, Friday the 9th, and then I'm actually interviewing in the morning tomorrow Ryan Habana, who appeared in the in the film Seven Pre-Trib Problems and the Pre-Wrath Rapture, and it's going to be a great interview, I hope. He is a, a great communicator. He's got a lot to say about a lot of different issues, so I'll be excited to talk to him, and that will come out on Tuesday. So the schedule is going to be Friday and Tuesday at around 4 p.m. is the idea that uh, these podcasts will come out. So thanks. Uh, and here is the study of Revelation 310. 
Today I'm doing another live stream on twitch.com. You can go to uh, uh, Twitch and subscribe to Bible Prophecy Talk there. Uh, but for the most part, Bible Prophecy Talk is an audio-only podcast and has been for uh, several years. So if you, you can uh, download all the places that you find your podcast. So today I wanted to talk about uh, Revelation 3.10, which is a really important passage concerning the rapture, or especially if you are a pre-tribulationalist, you will point, or a lot of pre-tribbers point to Revelation 3.10 as one of, if not their only real proof text. And I want to talk about Revelation 3.10. I did not include any discussion about the passage in uh, the film Seven Pre-Trib Problems and the Pre-Wrath Rapture, which I highly encourage people to check out if they haven't already. And the reason I didn't include it is because it didn't really fit. As we're going to see, my position on Revelation 3.10 is that it's really not talking about, it's not, it's not, it doesn't help pre-tribulationalism, it doesn't hurt pre-tribulationalism, and the same way it doesn't help or hurt pre-wrath or any other position. That's the position I'm going to take, and I'll explain why. But I think in order to do that, I want to go through some of the other views that people take on the passage and explain why they, uh, what, what the issues are. So I guess the place to start is just to uh, read the passage. So I'll bring up uh, logos here. And so it says here in Revelation 3.10, now again for context, uh, Revelation starting in chapter 2, uh, the seven churches are mentioned, the church of uh, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and all the rest of them. And there's a very specific pattern here. Very uh, specific things are said. It usually ends with a promise to the overcomers. It's actually very formulaic in these churches. And um, a lot of people do a lot of different things with these churches. That is to say, some of them will make them be uh, churches from the past ages, like maybe um, the Church of Pergamum was from a certain age, and the Church of Thyatira was the age after that, and then and then all the way down to the last one, the Church of Laodicea, which they would say represents uh, the modern-day church or the church that will be present uh, when the end times happens or something like that. I'm sort of ag agnostic on that. I, I see application, certainly, with all these churches— and teachings that can be applicable to all churches of all time periods. Um, I don't see any explicit reason to say these are, you know, uh, whatever chronological churches. I don't have a problem with it. There's no no view or anything I can think of that really depends on it or, or requires it. But I don't see anything in the text that says that that's what we're supposed to do with that. And I don't know of another place where without with a lack of any kind of obvious chronological marker. Like, for example, I know that the seven trumpets come before the seven bowls because the last trumpet introduces the seven bowls. You know what I mean? There's reasons for the other consecutive sevens. This isn't uh, an explicit reason, but again, I don't have an issue with it. So anyway, so by the time we get to the, what is it, the second to last one, the Church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Um, it's distracting over there. Uh, so the idea is that because this church uh, had kept the Lord's admonition to endure steadfastly, Therefore, they would be kept out of the hour of testing, whatever that may be, which is about to come upon the earth dwellers. 
and I, I typically take the earth dwellers here as a reference to what this book is about. This is in the book of Revelation. It's here for a reason. The, the, the earth dwellers are about to be a very specific group of people. That is those who either took the mark or worshiped the beast who are otherwise going to, to hell. Those are the people in the book of Revelation who are punished with the wrath of God. Uh, as we will progress throughout the book. So they, th- this church is going to be kept from the hour of testing. Now, there's three different views here. Now, ob- obviously, the pre-tribbers would like to say here that this is a picture of the church who will be uh, raptured, kept from, right? So they're going to be kept from uh going to keep you from the hour of testing they're going to be kept from the hour of testing but by being raptured and then the hour of testing on the rest of the earth dwellers so one of the things i guess i want to say first is that there's a group of people who will argue these are typically post-tribbers or some pre-rathers and other people that don't hold to the pre-trib position some of them will argue that the hour of testing that is about to come upon the whole earth um, is not the wrath of God, but rather either some local tribulation that will uh, befall those in you know the first century, or some other kind of persecution, um, or or basically it's just not the wrath of God. And so they'll go through like a word study of the word for uh, the out- temptation here, which is uh, uh, how do you say this? I certainly don't know. I guess we'll hear it said. Strong's G, 3986, Pytrasmas. if you look at ways that this word for temptation is used in the New Testament, you'll be just as confused as you were before you started. Because temptation, like the word thalipsis, tribulation, can be and is used in multiple different ways and contexts throughout the New Testament. So it can be, for example... Um, in Second Peter two nine, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to and that word is the same word there, temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So there, it almost it, because it's it's separating the two items very clearly. Um, we know that it's probably referring to the wrath of God there, but the same author in another letter uses it in a completely different way. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is about to try you as though something strange has happened to you. The exact opposite sentiment. You are about to to experience this, and don't be thinking it's crazy that you're going to be experiencing trials, that word parasmos or whatever. So even within the same author, in the same context, he's using it in two completely different ways. So in other words, it's really no help to appeal to the Greek word, the hour of temptation. What is that? Is there anything that we can gather from that? Well, yeah, you can gather that you're still kind of in the place where you started. It's, it can be wrath and it can be uh, temptations. The very thing that we're, of course, promised over and over again uh, in the New Testament, that we will go through various uh, temptations and trials, etc. But we're not to go through the wrath of God, First Thessalonians uh, 5 says specifically, and all positions agree, that we are not to go through the wrath of God. So that's the first group. Um, let's see, another group here would be probably, I'm going to refer to uh, Charles Cooper. Um, Charles Cooper is a pre-rather, so he he is not going to take the traditional pre-trib line here. 
what he does is, and he's written a little uh, uh, sort of pamphlet here called Revelation Bombshell, a deeper analysis of Revelation 3.10. And whenever you hear Charles uh, talk about this, it's it's very, uh, you know, uh, decisive. You know, it's the, the pre-tribulationalism is done, it's finally over, and here's the reason why. And um, what he does, for example, in this book, is he spends a good deal of time quoting different pre-tribulationalists who use and say things about Revelation 3.10 and say, this is very, very, you know, crazy things. Like, this is the only real proof text pre-tribulationalism has, just that kind of seriousness about Revelation 3.10. And he he spends a lot of time on it because they spend a lot of time on it. And, uh, you know, if you ask a pre-tribulationalist, is there a a single proof text for pre-tribulationalism? The answer is no. People like John Walver, John MacArthur will admit there is no single proof text for pre-tribulationalism. You have to sort of be taught a system in order to understand it. Uh, but they will say as close as we can come is something like Revelation 3.10, because you have endured, you will be kept from the hour of temptation that's going to come upon the whole world. That's about as close as they can get. So the way that Coop does this is, let's see, I'm going to pull up this again. So what he really does is he he shows that the punctuation here is incredibly important. Namely, that when it starts off, because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly, comma, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live upon the earth. What Coop does is says that this this first part about keeping your admonition to to endure steadfastly is not actually supposed to be understood as a part of this next verse. In fact, it's um, supposed to be included with the section right before it. So let me highlight that, which says, and then it would read, Look, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly. So... If and this is and that's what this pamphlet of Coop, Coop does is shows that uh, and makes a strong argument from what I can tell. I'm certainly no Greek scholar, uh, but from what I can tell, he makes a very strong argument that this because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly should be included with that previous uh, uh, verse, which is about the those that are going to come and bow down at their feet and acknowledge that I have loved you because they have kept his admonition to endure. And then it starts a new thought here when it says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So what this does is it takes out the conditional reason for them uh, being kept from the hour of testing. So now they're they're still being kept from the hour of testing that's about to come upon the whole world or the earth dwellers, but not in this case because they have kept the admonition to endure steadfastly. And, you know, I've listened to Coop talk about this, and I understand what he's talking about, and I agree with him, but I don't actually end up seeing that that's much of a significant difference in terms of what the pre-tribulationalist is claiming with this verse. It doesn't really change things. In other words, if you just took this whole first part out of the equation, and you're just left with this second part— I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come on the whole world and test those who, who live on the earth. You're still left with the core of the pre-trib argument about 
this, this verse, right? Somebody is being kept from an hour of trial that's about to come on the other people that live on the earth. So you're back to square run as far as I can see. Now, I've never, uh, you know, asked Coop to expand on that or anything. I'm sure he's got an answer if I had, had said that. Now, one, uh, I think the, the view that I take is that of uh, Alan Kirshner. And so Alan has written about this, and he's got a few podcasts about it and different things. But this is a really just short article that he wrote back in uh, 2012. And it seems, I've talked to Alan uh, after this, and he seems to still hold to this basic idea. And I'll just read uh, what he says. Uh, Let's see. He says, I would like to step back and propose a simple response, particularly to the way pre-tribulationalism interprets this verse. Pre-tribulationalism reads this verse as a promise to the church that they will be raptured, keep you from uh, before the day of the Lord's wrath, the hour of testing. This is supposed to prove a pre-tribulational rapture. However, there's one flaw. If they think that they own the, uh, if they think that they own this conclusion, pre-wrath also affirms that the rapture occurs before the day of the Lord, the hour of testing. As I believe that the day of the Lord's wrath on, um, only proves that the church. As I believe that the day of the Lord's wrath only proves that the church will not experience the day of the Lord's wrath. Uh, So Revelation 3.10 does not address when the day of the Lord starts, which is the fundamental question. The verse only gives a promise of a particular protection. Okay, so I'm going to explain this because I I didn't do a very good job reading that. Uh, Let me pull this up first. Um, This is all the four main, main rapture positions. And this little pink area, the day of the Lord you can see is drastically different in all four of these positions. Really, the the rapture positions are less about when the rapture happens and more about when the day of the Lord starts. All four of these positions believe that they will be kept from the hour of testing. All four of them. Uh, I was talking to somebody on Twitter today, a pre-tribulationalist, whose argument against the idea of uh, pre-wrath was, again, I can't buy it because the church was not supposed to go through the wrath of God, so therefore pre-trib. And again, you had to say, well, all the positions believe that the church isn't going to go through the wrath of God. The question is, the question that the scholars debate is, when does the wrath of God start? And that's the thing that the scholars are having trouble with in the seminaries. And many pre-tribulational scholars, for example, have recently changed their views to deal with the problems of them saying that the entire seven-year period is the wrath of God. It's simply a very difficult thing to, to defend once you get into the details, as we do in the film Seven Pre-Trib Problems and the Pre-Wrath Rapture, in which goes through the different scholarly arguments and the, uh, what the scholars are doing and saying. So, back to Revelation 3.10. Let's pull it up here. Um, Look, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and acknowledge that I have told you because you have kept my admonition to endure steadfastly. So let's take that out of the equation for now. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And, I I mean, you look at this and you say, well, duh. I mean, obviously... I, I want to say something that if you haven't noticed it and you're involved in these kind of discussions with pre-tribbers, and this isn't just with the the sort of layman pre-tribbers, this, is, this goes right up to the very top. This is an endemic, systemic problem in pre-tribulationalism, is that they honestly believe that sort of refuting post-tribulationalism is the same thing as proving pre-tribulationalism. 
if you go through like a list of a pre-tribber's proofs of pre-tribulationalism, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do, if not an impossible thing to do, what that list mostly will do is say things that are against post-tribulationalism. So, for example, uh, let's pull up our, our little post-tribulation. So, and really, technically, it's not even against post-tribulationalism at all either, because technically a post-tribulationalist here would say that they are also kept from the hour of testing, which they believe is a 24-hour period at the end of the 70th week. So yeah, the post-tribber could use the same argument that I'm using now and saying, no, actually, uh, we will be raptured before the hour of testing that's about to come on the whole earth. So so even the post-tribber who has what I believe is an untenable idea that the day of the Lord is a 24-hour period, and we could go through all the reasons for that or whatever. But you need to recognize that pre-tribbers a lot of times knock down the straw man of post or what they think post-tribulationalism teaches and then declares pre-tribulationalism the victor, as if the only two options in the world are pre-tribulationalism and post-tribulationalism, and to knock one down is to prove the other, which is not the case. Again, the question is, when does the wrath of God, known as the day of the Lord, start? And there are a lot of interesting clues on that. Again, see the, uh, the, the movie Seven Preacher Problems. 